Welcome to Making an Impression, The Sketches. This is part two of the show I recorded with the ridiculously brilliant Alistair McGowan and Kate O'Sullivan. In this show, we discuss how to do several impressions one after another. We examine the forensic and more instinctive approaches to impressions. We look into the essence of an impression and also how one voice can inform another. Plus, we've got more writing and editing tips from Alastair. There are three great sketches in this show, fantastic impressions. Uh, and you'll also hear my impression of a knock at the door. A uh, little uh, behind-the-scenes insight for you. I knocked on my desk, not an actual door. Uh, so listen out for that. That's showbiz. It's showbiz. Anyway, Enjoy. in the old Dead Ringers days. Mm. Uh, I, I was the first person that Bill Dare called in to throw this idea at, you know, and I don't know if you knew that, but no, no yeah, yeah, I was first. I was first. Right. <laughs> also the first out <laughs> after series one. But he called me in and he said to me, you know what, Simon, the thing is, this is important. I don't want uh, any impressionist to be doing two voices one after the other i don't want oh, that yeah. happening yeah and lo and behold that's exactly what happened and mm. i i didn't really blame him for that and you, you and john colshaw tended to do you know quite often would do more than one voice per sketch mm. uh, it's quite difficult that isn't it where you're especially if you're doing them consecutively to to keep coming in and out yeah. of the voices how, how do you do you have a any kind of method um i think if they're voices that you know inside out it's absolutely fine and you do it and you mm. really enjoy doing it but if they are ones that are close yeah. together like even then i probably shouldn't have said say this now but my louis theroux i've always um started off my starting point for louis was always john major who i used to do on specific years ago <laughs> and younger viewers will yeah. have no yeah. idea who john major is but listeners uh, <laughs> but but john had that sort of voice yes indeed and louis has the same thing but it's just younger and a bit more yes. earnest and drawn out so if you're doing those yeah. two for instance i can't imagine a sketch where you would but that sort of thing that's tough <laughs> But when they're very different or there's a different accent, it's fine. The thing you lose, of course, yeah. is the lovely overlaps that you might get. But then generally with sketches, radio and television, producers don't want overlaps because they can't edit. So in fact, no. you lose nothing by, by having the same person doing two voices. That's interesting. Kate, you were, you were absolutely knocking that out, out of the park. What was there, as you were doing that, were you having to mentally very clearly switch on and off from those voices? or I have no idea. I have, I have no idea what happens. Uh, I, I, you know, it's just sort of, um, it, it's hearing it, feeling it at exactly the same time before doing it. Yeah. I mean, I can't articulate it any other way, really. Um, I mean, do, do you see yourself, because again, this was something we talked about a lot on the show, I think, the, the instinctive impressionist um, and the, the forensic impressionist. And I'm not saying the two don't meet somewhere along the way. There's a sort of a Venn diagram. But I always put myself very firmly in the instinctive impressionist department. You know, I, I, I could either do it or I couldn't. I'm not going to spend a lot of time thinking about the accent or how I did it or what I did. It's there or it's not there. So where, where, where are you on that spectrum? I think I'm firmly in the forensic, probably. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean... I think like with any technique you have to 
you have to be um, obsessive, perfectionist, and then throw it away so so that you can you know you can act it freely, mm. um, not be pinned down by the forensics it. of it. But um, I think you need the two in, in a way. Do you feel that, Alistair? So. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely right. You know, there's that classical classic quote from any theatre director or drama school teacher that always say, "Do your research, but when you're performing, don't show your work." And that's the truth, isn't it? With a voice, yeah. you know, you've got to know yeah. what what people do, but then not draw attention to it too much. One of my latest voices is Monty Don, and I, oh, go on, really, give us a blast. Really enjoyed perfecting it, <laughs> learning it. Styling. Oh, that's beautiful. And then yeah. sort of putting the flowers on, if you like, and putting the dew on top of the flowers. So we see it in all its wonderful glory. <laughs> his, uh, that, his, his best but, mate. <laughs> but that voice yeah. is something that initially I thought, well, what does he do? What does he do? I can't understand it. And then once you've analysed it a bit, you can't believe yeah. that you didn't notice all those things in the first place. And I think that's what the kernel of an, of an impression is for the audience as well, is you're simply pointing out yeah. things that they've probably noticed but never actually defined. And yeah. yet, when you get another impressionist, he will see something else. True. True. In Monty, yeah. you, you know, it's it's so weird, isn't yeah. it? It's like having the the vase of daffodils on the, the table in the middle and getting a whole load of people to to paint and draw it. One of the previous shows in, in this series, we had Darren Altman and Danny Postel, and both doing an impression of Piers Morgan. And Danny, who's got a very naturally high voice, and hang on, hang on, hang on, doing that kind of thing. And then we had Darren, who's much lower pitched, doing a whole different version of Morgan, and they both completely stood up and they both said they'd learn something from each other which is which is also interesting because i mm. think we do that don't we? there's a tendency for impressionists because we're good at picking out those little bits and pieces the ticks of language mm. and an accent and pitch we're good at that and but other impressionists can can see what you're doing as well and yeah we we, we you know we can cherry pick from each other a little bit lewis mcleod for me is probably the best I think voice person that I've ever known because Lewis's voice he does things with it I can't even understand or explain that he gets different timbre <laughs> high low thick the thickness of his voice and some qualities and some some you, you yeah. can't recognize Lewis I can always sort of spot most other people probably me included but Lewis yeah no idea he, he really is extraordinary in terms of where he can put his voice it, it's very interesting that because when you speak to lewis he's got a quite quite a gruff scottish thing going on there like that you think how is he finding all these other you know like when he does jeremy vine which is a much cleaner crisper sound higher pitch yeah. mm -hmm, and he mm -hmm. does that seamlessly yeah. and you think well, how is yeah. he acts what's he accessing there in his yeah. voice box to produce that sound. You're, it's you're not right. just He's the voice box, though, is it? That's the thing, isn't it? It's, no, you're it's right. the mind as well as the voice box, weirdly. Indeed. Yeah. That synergy. Well, look, I tell you what, we're going to, uh, because I'm conscious of time and I want to push on, we've got uh, three more sketches to do. And this, look, Alistair, this is just you. Yeah. So Kate and I are going to go make a, a cup of tea. Okay. Um, we're not living, we don't live far apart, so we can probably meet somewhere in a street and <laughs> sup while you do. This is called Tory Einstein's. It's by Tom Jensen, who's, uh, we've heard his work before, terrific stuff. Uh, and this is Chris Packham, and it's a, a little monologue, and uh, it's all yours. We previously thought only a few 
animal species had the same level of intelligence as conservatives. But recent science proves that making tools, using language and having a powerful memory are far from being exclusively Tory attributes. Take my friend Bran, the new Caledonian crow. By fashioning a special hook from a twig, he can extract a juicy beetle grub from its nest. That's something even a five-year-old conservative isn't yet capable of. Of course, you might assume no animal brain, however brilliant, can possibly match the intelligence of adult Oxbridge-educated humans in positions of power. But... Scientists have shown chimpanzees can memorise and correctly relocate random numbers on a screen within seconds, a feat not even our Prime Minister or Health Secretary can match. Indeed, despite spending £15 billion on Covid-related contracts last year, they gave Britain the world's highest per capita death rate. Could they perhaps learn from our chimp cousins after all? What Tory humans lack? is domain general intelligence, the ability to combine very different types of information. This feisty New Zealand parrot uses physical, social and mathematical cues to play poker with her keeper. By contrast, when the highly gifted Dr Liam Fox described Brexit as one of the easiest trade deals in history, he was using purely social information based on a few foreign business contacts. Not only do our animal Einsteins think outside the box, they also consider the very future of their species. These ants from Borneo, for example, sacrifice themselves to defend their colony. Conservatives rarely indulge in such behaviour, being more focused on short-term survival. Hence their approval of a new coal mine in Cumbria that will help drive humanity to extinction. There is one animal Einstein however to which Tories bear striking similarities. A small blue streak, cleaner rasa. In coral reefs the cleaner rasa lives as a parasite of larger fish known as its clients. Competition can be fierce. If it's previously neglected a valuable customer's interests, the rasa will offer a more pleasant cleaning with added fin massage. Like human conservatives, it clearly has a brilliant brain for business. Bravo. Excellent stuff. What did you make of that, Alistair? It's, good. it's a long old read, that, and keeping that uh, voice yeah. and that accent going, it's, uh, how did you find that? It's really, really hard. I mean, the gymnastics of that, it's, it's too long as a sketch, yeah. I think. It's very clever yeah, it is and very long. good, and it's very well observed. His language, his turns of phrase, that particular program, he's really well parodied yeah. all that, Tom, but it's too long. And I think it also needs a better ending. It doesn't quite punch mm. it, and it's hard to do. I mean, I've never done him before, so that was a first go Have at you not? Chris Packer. Wow. Not, I've no. sort of messed around with him a bit, but that's the first go. I, I've um, never heard anyone else do him either. I mean, I, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Because, really? you know, yeah, I, I've never... Have you? Have you ever heard anyone else? I haven't, but his voice is a lot higher than mine. So that's my attempt at it. And I can't get up there where he is, really. But he does whisper quite a lot. So the whispering always makes your timbre disappear yeah, no, a bit. I thought so it was I brilliant. You've, you've got that, is it called a rotic R? To, to yeah. get 
your teeth into, haven't you? Which So that's kind of yeah. a nice place to start centering the impression, yes. isn't it? But he's actually, he's not like David Bellamy, who I think was probably one of his um, idols as a kid. But uh, Bellamy was, was very broad <laughs> and it was always like Evil Jonathan Ross as well. Yeah. They always have that, every single R with Jonathan is, is, is a W. <laughs> but with Chris, he doesn't always do it. Yeah. yeah, it's a very clear R sometimes and other times it gets blurred. And he's from Hampshire, which is a hard accent. And I've got a friend called Craig who's from yeah. Hampshire and we play snooker together. And the one word that always reminds me of Hampshire is when he misses a shot, he'd always go, oh, Craig. And he puts this extra Y in Craig. So it's Craig. Yeah, and that's what Chris Packham does. He'll say able. He's not able to do it. It's just this a sound, and that's and then a slightly blurred i in science and things. But again, it's not consistent. And conservatives, he says, yeah. conservatives, his it becomes an uh. That's that forensic thing. I noticed you said physical that. Yeah. rather than physical. But I was thinking about that all the way through. I wasn't thinking about the sketch. I was thinking about the, yeah. that, that's the problem <laughs> we have, isn't it, Kate? You're thinking about that diphthong on Craig. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very very nicely maintained and and uh, clear because that uh, Claire, who's Claire for goodness sake, Kate. Um, <laughs> talk, listening to Alistair talk, there talk. <laughs> I can call yeah. you Claire if I want oh, to. Kevin, one of them. Alistair talking about the you know breaking down the accent, the Hampshire accent, and do you, you? We talked just now about you being forensic in the way that you approach yeah. voices. Are you going to that kind of level yeah, of you know, granular so. yes. detail? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so my, my, my phone is filled with recordings of the same phrase over and over and over again um, yeah. and replayed and then sort of, yeah. So my favourite, I think, uh, search engine phrase is uh, whatever celebrity interview. And then so, that, so you get... But what I find is invariably sketches want... The celebrity or the character um, at a stage with a heightened emotion. Usually, they're shouting, which uh, yeah. is always a bit disappointing, isn't it, as an impressionist? Because you you want to get all those different colours, and if someone's shouting and outraged or or weeping or sobbing, it's really hard to sort of those forensic uh, hours that you've spent are often wasted and just sort yeah. Of, yeah. I always found politicians frustrating in that respect. Yeah, because with a politician, you've got to record. Well, you've got to record two versions of them you've got to record the interview yeah. voice and the dispatch box yeah. voice because they spend a lot of <laughs> yeah, time at the dispatch box i mean it's a year since i did politicians really yeah. but major for instance again as we mentioned him before when he was at the dispatch box it was just will the right honorable gentleman be sure i refer my right honorable gentleman the answer i gave some moments ago but then in an interview of course he's much quieter so you have to be able to do both those you've got to get the loud voice and the quiet. but at yeah. least they do do both for you in in public you haven't got to invent them yes I think I think that's true of Boris as well, oh, isn't yeah. it? You know, he has those sort of you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's when he's talking quietly, and then in the, the dispatch box is uh, the big blustery blah blah kind of thing going on. It's you know, as you say, you you you've got to get all the colours of that voice. Kate made a good point there. If you pick the right bit of what's the word, uh, um, the right clip of that person, a bit of actuality. I was trying to say, if you pick the right bit of actuality of that person to record and to work on, then you've got it but you've got to get the right one. And there are so many. And sometimes you pick up the mm -hmm. wrong one. Like Boris, for instance, when I first had to do him years ago for a radio thing, which was just an interview with me as Boris and Miles um, Jupp playing a character for half an hour. So I was Boris in all these different situations for half an hour. And I found completely by accident this interview he did with Jeremy Paxman after, a, I think it was a Blackpool Tory conference in about 2011. And it was very late at night. And he, was, he wasn't even, I don't know what he was then, Mayor of London, I think he was still. 
But in that in that interview, he was it was so late at night, and it was almost like the cameras weren't you know they weren't they weren't even there. And he just starts you know chatting away to Jeremy. He can he can, he can barely bother. And sometimes you know he'll he'll enthuse about something so much because he knows that he's he's sort of he's sort of losing it, you know. And 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 that was it was a total revelation. Everything he wanted to know about Boris was in that five-minute interview and I just got that clip yeah but if I'd gone for a different clip mm. I could have missed out on all those things because it was it just happened to all be those all layers and you can't watch them all you've actually got to just choose one and sometimes if you're working on 10 people in a day you've got to go that clip that clip that clip that clip true so you've got to hope you get the right clip so we're going to do another sketch now this is by uh, Rob Smith again and um, it's got a number of characters actually so I think it's based on the Kevin Costner film Field of is it Field of Dreams uh, where he puts a baseball pitch in his back garden and suddenly all these ghosts of legends come back and play baseball with him so we've got a TV executive which perhaps I'll, I'll grab that one TV assistant so that could be mm-hmm. Kate mm-hmm. you happy with that we've got a voiceover I suppose I'll, I'll take that on in the classic voiceover style and then uh, ghostly mm-hmm. voice Kate mm-hmm. again and then we've got Brian Cox Professor Brian Cox must be Alistair that's a shoo-in for Alistair and then towards the end we've got shoeless Joe I suppose I'll only because he's male I'll take take that on and Terence Mann I don't know who's Terence Mann Alistair you're the Terence Mann was played by James Earl Jones was it he's got the deepest James voice oh, you were in the world down, down there it's the, it's the Darth Vader voice field this game <coughs> yeah okay well I'll, I'll I'll give it a shot Okay, so um, that's it. It's called, well, it isn't called anything. It's just it's taking place in a meeting room. Look at these numbers. British viewers are down, advertising's down, merchandising's through the floor. Oh, we've got to do something. Well, what can we do? I know, I know. We'll remake a classic American film and use a popular British celebrity. Coming soon to a British screen near you. He was a farmer who heard a voice. That would change his life forever. If you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. When you say build it, I presume you're referring to the array of particles which form the fundamental building blocks of matter. Interestingly, you can see these elements in the pure sulphur mined in a volcano in Indonesia or a damn wall. Just build a bloody baseball pitch. <laughs> Your shoeless Joe Jackson, American outfielder for Chicago White Sox in 1919. You were part of the, the Black Sox betting scandal. You think I'm a ghost? No, I, I, I don't. Research has consistently shown that supernatural perceptions can arise from reactions to a whole variety of toxic substances, including some agricultural pesticides. We didn't have this trouble in Iowa. Go the distance. Go the distance. It's interesting because typically we measure distance in metres or kilometres. But when you're talking about vast distances in space, it can be easier to understand in the form of light years. That's why we use it. Just go and find a younger version of a kindly doctor who died in 1972 and give him one last chance to play some baseball. But can you build a time machine? The answer, in theory, is yes. If you can build a spaceship that accelerates close to the speed of light, time will pass more slowly for you. And, in a way, 
you've travelled into the future. Physics won't allow you to go back in the past. We never had this problem with Kevin Costner. This field, this game, it's part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all. <laughs> Shit. It reminds us all of what was good. Is this heaven? No, it's Ipswich. Coming to a British screen near you, Professor Brian Cox in Field of Dreams. Because things don't always get better. Good. I enjoyed that. Um, I, I, yeah. I mucked up every single line I did, but that's by the by. It's an interesting impression, that, isn't it, Alistair? I, I did a show with John Colshaw when yeah. we, we talked about Brian Cox. It seems to me, I've never tried to do that voice, see, but it just seems to me to be a bit of a gift for an impressionist because there are so many little hooks and ticks you can play with. Do you, do you, did you find that, or was it something that needed a lot of work? Yes and no. The, the problem I have with Professor Brian Cox is that I'm not interested at all in his programmes. I've tried. I've really tried. Mm. And I did one routine about how that's what we do. We watch them for 10 minutes and we really want to watch it. And then we're completely confused by all the terminology and all we can remember is a bit of our O-level physics and we go, I'm lost here. And, and we switch off. Yeah. Um, and, and he's great. You know, he's a lovely man and his presentation style is, yes, there's a lot to it. He's very slow, which is nice. He explains things as clearly as he can. He's got that wonderful Cheshire uh, hard G at the end of thinking and saying all those Ing. things that come through. Yeah. And he yeah. also has this yeah. lovely smile and the smile affects the voice and sometimes goes into this laugh, which is lovely to do. <laughs> and it's like I, no I like voice. those little giggles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I'd like to say it's like no other voice, but I did also do a routine when he first came to the fall about someone we don't hear now at all on telly because he's got older, sadly, and he's no longer wanted. Um, but Mark Lawrence, and he used to do all the football, and it's exactly the yeah. same voice. Lawrence. Mark's from Hull. You know, and he's from Cheshire. He's Chester. He's Brian Cox. But other than that, it's exactly the same voice, except that Mark Lawrence is like really miserable, and Brian Cox is really happy. But apart from that, it's the same voice, <laughs> same timbre, same everything, except that he's miserable <laughs> and he's really happy. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting that. And I know, we, I know. Again, we talked about this on on our previous show. The Kate, I mean, you must do this where you kind of find an impression and then you do another impression, and you you're feeding off the the other voice you know there are there are so many elements of a, of another voice that you can then kind of inform your new voice or the other voice do you, do you find yeah. that <laughs> yeah I, I think it's what Alistair was saying before as well about the, the John Major um and who was the other um guy that John Major can easily blend Louis into I've forgotten what Louis Theroux. Louis Theroux there we go so that uh, you know that and so um I think I remember Kermit the Frog gave me Pam Shriver which was really uh, unexpected <laughs> yes. and you know uh, you got that uh, creamy uh, like that kind of thing like that and then you got Pam Shriver talking about the backhand <laughs> and uh you know that Martina is really going for it here and you know that kind of so play, placement it can give you yeah. sort of uh, unusual kind of I, I, I love that not only because it's such a great impression of Pam Schreiber but because it's so niche it's yes. it's fantastic <laughs> yeah it really is <laughs> you know I know I know Alistair <laughs> is a huge tennis fan and I know also you're on the show uh, at some later point with Josh Berry and yeah. we've got a yeah. stupendous tennis sketch to be doing on that so it's going to be a lot of fun yeah. but that's I love a niche impression like that just for almost for your own entertainment because if you were to do that on stage People yes. do, who the hell's Pam Shriver? Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know. It's, yeah. Yeah. 
It's what? great. I, 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 I do loads of those impressions that no one can <laughs> damn about. Just getting back to that sketch for a second, <laughs> if I might put my writer's head on again with yeah. the sketch or producer's head. I think this is it's, it's such a nice sketch. Again, the person, I actually watched this film last night because I was going to watch it soon anyway. Uh, and it's such an accurate representation of the film. The Brian Cox stuff is yeah. really good. But it's a question always of radio and television. How do you set up impressions? How do you say this is that person? And I think here, yeah. Rob has missed an open goal, which is that the last line should be the first line. You don't need the first three lines of the TV executive. You start with a trailer saying, yeah. um, Field of D-Reams with Professor Brian Cox. And then if you know that he was in the band D-Ream, which is what the whole thing is about, you've set it up. And oh, I didn't know that, you see. Ah, I didn't yeah. know yeah. that. But that's, that's uh. the whole sketch is right there in that last line. And then you can end with, no, it's Ipswich, bang. But yeah. otherwise, you've got this elaborate setup, which doesn't really work, because I can't imagine these people saying yes. British viewers are down. That doesn't make sense. Merchandising is through the floor. No. That doesn't make sense. I'm guessing the brief was that they that sort of uh, that Simon said to the writer, "Look, if you can give me as many voices as you can on this sketch, that would be great." <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing, and so the writer just ran with that. And yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, you know, Rob, as I said earlier, Rob's uh, submitted lots of sketches for the the mm. podcast, and I think he's an outstanding writer. Yeah, it's good. And yeah. for all of us, you know, we kind of we're, we're learning as we go along. It was always interesting. I used to do. I'm sure you you did. I don't know whether. Uh, Alistair, with the Kate, you did uh, Weekending? No, I didn't. No, no, oh. no. That was just what I, I heard about it. Yeah, yeah Chris Lang well, I, and I used to do that quite a lot. And it was very. It's a very interesting process. We turn up, I'm sure this is true of lots, lots of sketches, and you, we turn up on a you know Thursday morning or something and there'd be a massive, you know, like a Bible of scripts. And Kathy Smith, the producer, would go whipping through them. Well, we're not doing that. Tear that one out. Tear this one. We're going to do that one. Get your pens out. Start scraping this out. And, and, and then we'd do the table reads. And then we'd do another edit um, until we got these things down. And, of course, writers are submitting these things. As long as the guts of the thing is right, as long as you've got the voices right and the, and the sound of it, you know, the, the, what, what, how does Brian Cox express himself, which I think Rob does magnificently well yeah, in this sketch. Yeah. If you've got that, then you can Brilliant. afford to start chopping and, and, and you know editing bits out because you're still going to retain the, the the guts of the of of the sketch. And so yeah. I'm sure Rob will, will take no offence whatsoever at, at that. And I think it was a you know incredibly constructive um, criticism. So we're going to move now to our f uh, final sketch, and happily, again, I'm nothing to do with this one. It's by Rachel E. Thorne, one of our regular writers, and it features Louis Theroux and Nigella Lawson. Uh, Alistair will, of course, to Louis. And Kate, you're <coughs> Nigella. And I should be watching this with interest because I expect some of the looks to camera, uh, some of that suggestiveness. Um, for, from we'll from Alistair. Yeah. And we'll put it on YouTube, and then then we'll see what happens. <laughs> there is there is, um, there is an, yeah. an ignominy, Simon, that sometimes you remember those programs like Dead Ringers or Weekending, where you're keen to do mm. something, and you get the smallest part imaginable in that sketch, just so that they make you feel involved. So there is a knock here, a sound effects knock. If you'd like to give us the knock, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, it's it's actually still bigger than most of the parts I was given in Dead Ringers. So um, I'm going to really go for the, okay. the knocks. Right. Okay, knock, here we knock, go. Knock so this, back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this is called When Louis Met Nigella. It's by Rachel E. Thorne. And away you go. How much do we really know about other people? 
I'm Louis Theroux, and in this series, I make my face look slightly baffled as I coax out people's innermost secrets. I'm in the back of a car, driving to meet my latest subject, or should I say, victim. You're probably wondering why documentaries always feature scenes like this, where the presenter is filmed on their way to meet people. I guess it's a chance as good as any other to tell you about the person I'm about to meet although you suspect that I have actually met them several times already to agree the parameters for the filming that's about to take place. We arrive at the person's home. There now follows a complex bit of camera work where you see the back of my head as I ring the doorbell. And then I get filmed from inside the house when the door opens. The magic of TV. There's no doorbell here, so I just knock. And... In hushed tones, I tell you that today, I'm meeting the woman I wish was my mother. Hello. Do come in. I'm Nigella. Mummy. Don't be shy. My food will soon make you forget my silly first name. I'm Louis. Uh, let's, let's shake hands. It'll, it'll seem anachronistic and, and endearing. If you just come through to the kitchen, I've made your favourite food. How did you know what I like? I read it in your eyes. Golly. And here it is. Roly-poly pudding. Roly-poly pudding? Roly-poly pudding. Roly-poly pudding. Roly-poly pudding. While Nigella <laughs> rolls out the roly-poly, I pretend to be a rather diffident chap with just a passing curiosity in her behaviour. Meanwhile, I smile in a beguiling fashion that makes him wish I was his mother. I casually ask how she knows about that, concealing my inner turmoil. I tell him that's the effect I have on everyone, and it's why I've been on telly for 20 years. Then I stuff us both so full of roly-poly pudding that it oozes out of our belly buttons. And as I film Nigella flailing around in rivers of jam... You find yourself wondering why anybody would allow me into their homes at all. Terrific stuff, you two. That was that was a beautiful read. And I think it's a really good sketch, that. Um, <laughs> I think they're all good sketches, but that was rather nicely nails the the artifice a little bit of, of the Louis. Well, perhaps not, not just Louis, perhaps documentary, you know, where you have the... the um, documentary maker being the yeah. almost the star of the thing yeah yeah and it, i think that that nails it really nicely so yeah nice sketch yeah thank you rachel ethorn for that yeah oh, and one day i'm going to find out what that e stands for um that will be my mission after i finish recording this podcast well kate what did you make of uh, all of our uh, endeavors today <laughs> i really enjoyed it yeah it was lovely <laughs> lovely to work with you again you and Alistair. Absolutely. It's been, been it's a long fun, time since we worked together last. It has. It's um, yeah. It's fantastic. Thanks. Because, Alistair, nothing like the on, the ensemble kind of sketch thing. It's just something really quite... Although I know you did, a, you did a solo thing as well. But there's a nice... It's a lovely thing about sort of waiting for that, the other person to hit their line and you bounce off it. I think this, it's, it's, a, it's a nice dynamic. Yeah, and also just the pleasure. You know, I think as Impressionists, we all love to hear good impressions and we know when they're good i'm hoping my knocking was also something that you will will live with you it was a triumph to come yes yes 
on the CV, definitely. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. Aww. Well, look, um, it's been an absolute joy. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed working with you two today. So thank you to, first of all, uh, Kate O'Sullivan. Thanks for joining us and being such a good sport and so brilliant in all of those sketches. And to Alistair McGowan in uh, Shropshire, thank you, as ever. Too bloody good, you make me sick. Um, <laughs> but magnificent impressions, as ever. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Alistair, you're back on the show soon. Uh, Kate, yeah. you are as well. And we've got uh, mm -hmm. all kinds of people. We've got Rory Bremner coming. We've got Al Foran. We've got um, Darren, Darren Altman's coming back. Loads of people. So um, stay tuned. Until the next show, uh, it's uh, goodbye from me, goodbye from Kate, and from Alistair. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for part two of this podcast with Alistair McGowan and Kate O'Sullivan. If you enjoyed the show, uh, why not drop us a five-star review and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or your chosen podcast platform. Come and follow us on Twitter at Voice Maestros. I'll be dropping video clips of the recordings, bits of inside info, links to the shows, and there's all that and more, including all the sketches, on our website, which is www.voicemaestros.com. Uh, the performers and I are more than happy to engage and chat across the various platforms. Oh, and uh, yeah, we've got a Making an Impression Facebook page as well. Join us next time for another Making an Impression, the sketches 